Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. I've been sexually sober 36 years and 10 months. Um, I'm doing this workshop um, as a flow. The flow, as you all know, began over many, many months ago when my higher power started talking through Malcolm to bug the hell out of me to have a series of talks. I finally said, okay, to get Malcolm off my back. And um, once I said, okay, I realized I would do all the articles I had written for the essay over the years and then have you ask questions about it. Then the flow turned into Malcolm. With Daniel's help for all of us, Malcolm doing a four-week 11-step meditation. And then the flow went into, Harvey, you're 81 years old. Give a workshop on the steps. And that's how we are today. But the workshop, for me, was not to give you the steps as they usually are given. but to go through some different doors to do it. So instead of us talking about the first step our first week, we spoke about the doctor's opinion to prove as best we can that we're not bad getting good, we're sick people getting well, that we have a physical allergy accompanied by mental obsession. Then the second week, we didn't go into the step one. Instead, we went into the prerequisite. And for those whose English uh, is a second language, a prerequisite is what you need before you could do something. So before I eat food, I need a farmer to grow the food. And then I need the truckers to bring the food. And then I need a store where I could buy the food so I could eat it. Well, there's a prerequisite for the steps. And that's the first five paragraphs in chapter five of the AA book which we also discuss in summary as the main text of SA. Why? Because Roy says it in the SA book. And also why? 
because I came into the program before the essay book was written. <laughs> so we're using the AA book. Now on that, we're going to go now into the second step. Usually when you talk about the second step, you start from the beginning of the second step. But we're using a different door. We're using a different door. Because the second step talks about a higher power in the beginning. But how can we deal with a higher power if we don't accept the second part of the first step, a second step, second part of the second step, which is we're insane. How can we be restored to sanity if we're not insane? How can we ask for something to be removed that we don't believe? So we want to now re-examine for a moment the first step where it says, and our lives become unmanageable. Now, that was Bill W.'s way of prettying up our truth. We become insane. This is a disease of the brain. Chemicals in the brain, in our hypothalamic part of the brain, in our limbic system, are not like normal people. And we become insane. Okay. Harsh word. How can Harvey say we become insane? Because the second step says we're restored to sanity. So we have to be insane if we're restored to sanity. Now, you're going to think right now, I'm going to talk about, maybe we'll talk about it in the answers, about insanity. No, we're going to show you how the book talks about insanity. The big book. Now, we have people of many, many religions and sub-religions, meaning... <laughs> Big titles, but separate type of approaches to these titles. And, but we need to face that in 1935 to 39, that the big book were written by Christians. It's just the fact. It was written by Christians. I happen not to be a Christian, but it's an ex a fact. I accept. Now, if it were written by Christians, it's going to have a lot of New Testament qualities to it. Now, it transcended particular religion over the years for many reasons. But it started with two main things. One is an author, Emmett Fox 
who is a, had a kind of special way of dealing with Christianity back in the 30s, and the other was the New Testament. Now, remember, I'm not pushing because I'm not this religion. I've never been this religion. <laughs> but that's how it's based. And what does the New Testament use a lot of times? There's a special word. It's called parables. Parables. Little stories. So in these first few chapters, there are little stories about three people. One is called Jim, one is called Fred, and one is called the Jaywalker. And you're going to just say, oh, what silly stuff is this? Talking about a man called Jim or Fred. This is the parables to explain to us the concept of insanity. And if you don't grasp these three stories, you are not going to grasp what you got. It's just going to be very difficult. Now, so if you all have your big books there, I want you to look at them and grab them. And I wrote a few of the pages down. Uh, we want to start with page 35, 36, and 37. That's where those three parables are, those three little stories. Those three little stories that are major. If you don't understand these stories, you're not going to understand your insanity. And if you don't understand your insanity, how can you come to believe a power greater than yourself can restore you from this insanity? Now, I want to give you another little interesting um, thing. On page, I won't go into too many of this page stuff, but basically, it says on page 60, we are now at step three. How do they put it? Being convinced we were at step three, page 60. All of a sudden, it says step three. Where the heck is step one and two? <laughs> Did step one and two vanish? All of a sudden, first time it's referred to it. It says on page 60, being convinced we are at step three. Where is step one and step two? And where is step two? Step two is in the chapter more about alcoholism. That's simple. And that's the section of the book that has those three stories. Now, what are the three stories? Who would like to read for us from page 35? Our first example? Yeah. Yes. Uh, is, a, is a friend we call... We shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. 
he inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commo oh gosh, commendable yeah. world war record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did not drinking. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. Okay, so we're going to stop there. Mm-hmm. We got a guy called Jim, just like us. <laughs> Average kind of guy. He was a salesman. He owned, he actually owned the automobile agency. Good old guy. But you know what? He had a little nervous condition. Like all of us. Full of fear, full of anger, full of anxiety. A little nervous condition. Okay? Then he ends up drinking too much. And then he ends up in a mental hospital time and again. And then they find Jim and help him. And he stays sober. Guy stays sober. What a miracle. And then what happens? On page 36, give you a little background that they don't kind of give exactly, but it's in there when you read it yourself. His intoxication and relapsing made him lose his automobile agency. And now he's working for the company he used to own. By the way, check me out. I make this stuff up as I go along. Don't trust what I'm telling you. Double check it. Okay? (laughs) But basically, this is what happens. And so one day, he's going on a sales call to go find someone to sell a car to. And what happens? And I'm going to read this to you. He gets hungry. So he goes to this place where he's been sober eating lunch time and again. This time he went in and suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt assured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into the milk. That didn't change. That didn't seem to bother me. So I tried another. 
thus started one more journey to the mental hospital, to the asylum. Okay. Haven't so many people in this program who have relapsed done this time and again? Oh, yeah. If I just turn my head halfway to look at that woman or man, not the whole way, I won't get drunk. If I just pour in a little bit of lust, let a little bit of lust go in my brain, I won't get drunk. I won't end up back, if not worse, than where I used to be. How many of us, how many of you, have done this time and again and wonder why I'm relapsing? Always go back to Jim. Jim explains it. Now, What does Bill W. say about it? Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. We call this insanity. Thinking I can control and enjoy lust. You're either a cucumber But once you become a pickle, you can never go back to being a cucumber again, ever. No matter what you think. Once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it can never go back to being a cucumber again. If you are allergic to lust, no matter what you do, you will always be allergic to lust. Now, those of you who have been on previous talks here know that the first step does not say I'm powerless over sex. It says I am powerless over lust. It does not say I am powerless over pornography. It says I am powerless over lust. The thought that precedes the acting out. Acting out, no matter how you fool yourself, does not just happen. There's always a previous thought called lust. You might not notice it. 
And many of us who have done our steps and done a lot of meditation are more comfortable with mindfulness seeing our thoughts. So many people miss those thoughts that precede taking the first drink. Now, let's go to the jaywalker. Story number two. And instead of reading it to you, I'm going to tell you about it. Then you could read it on your own, hopefully. This I'm not here to spoon feed you. You won't even remember most of the stuff I say today. You're going to need to read it. No sponsor can ever get you sober. Wipe that thought out of your head. Wipe it. You're helping to keep your sponsor sober. (laughs) But he cannot get you sober. You have the main sponsor in your hands. To go back to over and over to remind me that I am insane. I cannot trust my thinking. Then I call my sponsor to help me be sure I'm not doing, excuse me, (laughs) the doctor's office is calling, so I don't know what it's about. Okay. So the jaywalker, this guy gets a kick of his fun dashing, going in front of moving cars. And seeing if he can get to the other side quickly. And he does it no problem at all. It's so much fun. And he gets to the other side for years. But one day he's hit. And he gets a little damaged leg. And then he goes, limps away. And the next day or two, He goes back and does the same thing. And the next time, he gets a head injury. He goes to the hospital. He gets better. And then a few days later, he does it again. And this time, he's really broken up. And what does the big book say? He shuts himself up in a nice asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man we would be crazy, wouldn't he? Such a man would be crazy, insane. How many times have we done that? How many times did I give my wife venereal diseases? Saying, this time, I really use safe sex. I won't get her messed up. I have some intelligence. 
but it didn't work. Because I'm insane, especially during my active disease when all those drugs in my head are pumping wildly. All those endorphins. Then the big book says we're absolutely unable to stop on the basis of self-knowledge. Self-knowledge will not stop us because we're insane. So someone who's insane might think he could fly and he jumps off a building, but it's not sane thinking. Last but not least is Fred. And Fred stopped drinking for a while, and then all of a sudden he thought he was okay, and he took a drink again, and it was just wild again. And Fred says, I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink. And how did his show up? I went to my hotel, leisurely dressed for dinner, as I crossed the threshold of the dining room. That was all, nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and a meal. How often have you said, you're feeling fine, you're doing good, and you sitting by your computer, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you type the word sex. This is insanity. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in these strange mental blank spots. Alcoholic mentality, it's called. In our case, it's our sexual mentality. There's a thought from the 12 and 12 that it talks about. We rather think we're bad than acknowledge how sick we are. Men and women rather think of themselves as bad people than being impaired mentally with a disease that we were probably born with. And for those who weren't here before the meeting started, people from Iran and Pakistan and all over, and we were sharing that no matter what background we came from, we all have the same symptoms. 
How could that be? If it's not a disease, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you have diabetes, you're going to have the same symptoms as anyone, no matter what your religion, no matter what country you're born in, you're going to have the same symptoms. And one of our symptoms is insanity. I'm going to end now this part, leave it to questions, but I want to share a little about my insanity. That still goes on, except the good news is I'm able to see it's insanity. And so I don't listen to it. What do psychotic people, what symptoms do they have? They will get visual hallucinations. Okay. So I will see a woman all dressed up. And I will see her. And all of a sudden, I see she's naked. That's called a visual hallucination. I will see a man dressed in a suit, and all of a sudden, I'll see him with an erection. That's called a visual hallucination. A young woman in her 20s and 30s will smile at me. And I get an auditory hallucination. I hear her say to me, let's have sex. Auditory hallucination. And then what do psychotic people have, many? Delusions of grandeur. What 25-year-old woman wants to have sex with an 81-year-old man? It's a delusion. I have hallucinations and delusions. But I've been restored to sanity. That's when they come up, I know they're (laughs) hallucinations. I always forget the name of that movie, Something of the Mind, um, with that Australian actor. What's that movie? Beautiful, beautiful mind. mind. A Beautiful Mind. A Beautiful Mind. And at the end of the movie, he got all this help. He was functioning beautifully. But he still saw the man in the front row or something. Except he knew it was a hallucination. But it was still there. Because I have an incurable, chronic, progressive disease that will always be with me till I die. doesn't bother me. I don't act on it. I, I don't have lust thoughts. But that doesn't mean the disease went away. As you know from my previous talks, just because my blood pressure is magnificently good. When you take my blood pressure, but let me get off my pills, (laughs) it skyrockets again. 
my mind wants to say you're cured. <laughs> no, it's the effect of my daily medication. I'm going to end for questions, but this is a very difficult talk for me to give. Who wants to tell other people you're nuts? It's very uncomfortable for me to say, I don't even know most of you. You're crazy. I'm crazy. We hallucinate. We don't even know we're hallucinating. We've been doing this since we were children. We're not producing brain chemicals like normal people produce. But thank goodness there's a medication for it. The program, which we'll get to later on in this workshop. Now, some people do the program and it doesn't stop it. Does that mean the program doesn't work? No, it means the person's missing a piece of the program that says you might need more help than just the meetings. You might need special medicine. You might need to be chemically castrated for a while. According to how advanced the disease is. But underneath it all, I need a special medication that prevents me from having the worst delusion of them all. Shame. To think I'm bad. What a delusion. When we're created In God's image, we have to be good and worthwhile human beings. But we're sick. And shame is a form of insanity. Going back and beating yourself up and doing all that crap. God's going to punish me and God's going to get me. What the heck do you want? You're worried about him punishing you or it punishing you or whatever this power or not power is. When he brings you here, when it brings you to the program, if he wants to punish you, why the hell bring you to recovery? Such bull crap we tell ourselves. Because we don't let go of old ideas and we don't see, because of our insanity, what's in front of us. What's in front of us? This power greater than me in step two restores me through by bringing me here. What bigger example of love do I need? from a power, a universal, a cosmic power, whatever you want to give it a special name, give it a special name. But it's something that is so big 
that our brains as humans can never conceive of it, just like time or space, as we talked before the meeting started. So start embracing that we're insane. And how do I deal with my insanity? I call you up. <laughs> and I share my insane thought. And Jess, my old sponsor, would say, we take a dirty dish and we put it in dirty water. And the miracle is they both come out clean. I, a nut job, an insane person, calls you another insane person, and we get off the phone. We're both saner. Sure, I believe in some of these ridiculous stories we read about from the Bible. That if God could get me sober, he could part the Red Sea. <laughs> That's an easy pickings for God compared to getting me sober. <laughs> okay, we're open for questions. Um, hi. Um, so I don't know if my question's relating to it to the second step, but I was just wondering if you can, if it's if it's possible to work the program with the girlfriend. Oh, it's a perfect question for the second step. <laughs> if you could keep her hands off your bo her body, yeah, it's possible. But if time and again, you're doing things with her, saying, oh, it's the same girlfriend I've had, and it's really committed relationship. In our program, that's an aspect of insanity. Now, can people have girlfriends? Absolutely. I've seen people get married in the program. How do you get married if you don't have a girlfriend? But if you want to start doing it when you're hardly sober, I wish you luck. No, most people need about a year. Even married people, I needed 11 months of abstinence in my recovery. But many sponsees have dated in recovery, married in recovery, have children in recovery, and have beautiful programs. Because we're not allergic to sex, we're allergic to lust. Now, most people who come here won't be able to be faithful to their girlfriend. They won't be able, like me, to be faithful to the people that you were being unfaithful with. Figure that one out. Okay. Next Thank question. You. Okay, Harvey, I have a question. I'm Davey from Belgium. Um, I have a question about lust. Is lust necessary wrong? Because every every time when I hear that people say lust kills love, lust kills this, lust kills that, but it's so I have a hard time with uh, 
understanding that every list is wrong. So can you explain that for me? Yes, a wonderful question. You got to let go of your old idea. All you know, the word lust is religious, what you've been taught from your religions. We're not talking that lust. When I share the word lust, I'm not talking about morality lust. I'm talking about sexual fantasies. Having a thought and having a feeling or an arousal that accompanies that motion picture in my head. Meaning, I cannot stop. Jess would say this all the time. We cannot stop the first thought. That's how we're made. That's how God made us. Mm. Have this. I have this illness, and I look at an orchid plant, and I see... <laughs> genitalia, women and men's genitalia, the plant. That's how God made me. Okay? What do I do with that first photograph? If I turn it, not use the program and the chapter, how I overcame my obsession with lust, it turns into a cinema. That's the first drink. It produces natural heroin in my brain called endorphins. Now, how do we know it's true? It's a little easier because as a man, I could talk about it. Women will have to describe their own way. But it will immediately change the brain chemistry that makes blood vessels increase and you get an arousal. How do you get an arousal? It's a chemical reaction of producing more blood in a certain sponge in our body. So it's that part I'm allergic to. I'm not allergic to sex. I overdid it before I came to my, the program with my wife and with many other people. But I'm not allergic to sex with my wife. If I do it in moderation and I don't let her disappear and go into fantasies in my head, which is lust at that time, which could then produce problems the next day when I'm walking down the street. So chapter five, those first five paragraphs, erase everything you know possibly even words and definitions. Dave, Davey, did I talk around it or was this able to answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I don't get everything what you said. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think that you give me an answer a little bit, yeah. And then I have a second, sorry guys, I need to say, <laughs> I need to ask, what is, is it wrong to list on my wife? Because she's so beautiful <laughs> and I love her. And if she make me crazy in my head and I create fantasies and we don't have sexual intimacy because my past and her past, 
How do you deal with that too? Because that's not easy, I think. I am not allergic to sex with my wife. I am allergic to fantasies with my wife. Yeah, me too. Okay. So if I'm thinking about her, when nothing's going to happen, that then that sexual fantasies, and I cannot have sexual fantasies successfully about my wife. Maybe you can. I cannot have any sexual fantasies. Sometimes I'll pop in for a moment, or when I'm intimate with my wife, something crazy will come in and out, and I do deep breathing, I do whatever it takes. And there is a man with tons and tons of sobriety in our fellowship. And decades ago, he gave a talk where he and his wife had an agreement that even in the middle of the sex act, if he started to have sexual fantasies, he would tell her and he would stop doing it. Hmm. (coughs) Now, the minute you shift into bad and good, wrong or right, you're missing the concept. It's not bad or good. It's not wrong or right. It's an, I have an allergy. How can lust be wrong? It's without lust, you'd have no children. (laughs) Without jealousy and envy and greed, No one would get out of the cave they lived in. But I cannot do it successfully. What example can I give you? The world drinks alcohol, most of the world, not some groups, but most of the world. They even use it in some religious practices. So alcohol can't be bad or good, but I can't drink it. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a normal man when it comes to alcohol. It's that simple. We're not talking about morality here. Men and women have been masturbating for thousands of years. Or else it wouldn't be in certain books telling you not to do it. (laughs) How could they say don't do it if if no one was doing it? Prostitution is the world's oldest profession. So it's not that pornography's always been around. I just can't do it successfully. I'm allergic to it. Okay, thank you. Um, Thank you, Harvey. I do have some recovery time under my belt. And my question, I'd like your response, please, on my present way of thinking that's, that's come into play with regards to self-care. And that is that uh, we have a lot of God-given instincts that we're told, I think, in our program supports, um, allow, allows us the opportunity to make decisions to meet those needs in healthy ways, uh, emotionally, uh, touch, and lustful, non-sexual hug or touch. Um, so my question is this, these are all God-given instincts, as you've already supported and said, um, 
my self-care uh, has led me to a place where I am. I have gone for uh, a couple of massages in a local. Uh, stop the. There's some noise and interferes with what I could hear David saying. Can we mute everyone? No, the, okay. the noise is by David. It's the noise is actually from him. So we have. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope I'll, I'll keep this short here. So uh, my question. So my th my thought is that. Um, so I've gone and had a couple of um, non-sexual non massages um, and it's helped address our COVID situation with regards to uh, the whole thing of skin deprivation, touch, skin deprivation, whatever you want to call it. And I'm feeling better with that. But of course, it's moving toward a, uh, a, uh, a fine line. I find there's a very fine line between lust and love. And... Uh, I'm feeling okay with it right now, but I do know that it's a slippery slope, this disease. And uh, at the moment, I'm feeling more secure with having had these couple of massages than, than not and, and feel quite good afterwards. But I do know it's a slippery slope. So my, my, that's where I'm at right now. And I'm, I'm finding myself, it's stirring up certainly uh, feelings of arousal but I'm not doing anything with them. Um, and overall, I'm still feeling good, although I know that as I move through the, that day and the rest of the week, uh, my mind is more easily slipping back into those good feelings. So that's, I'm just looking for any feedback on that. Am I, de am I kind of deceiving myself? <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Well, uh, yes. Last week, the main thrust of the talk was on to thine own self be true. Don't let anyone tell you what you should do or shouldn't do, but you already know the answer because you wouldn't be asking it. Okay? So apparently you're not ready yet or you wouldn't be asking the question. Okay? It's real simple. We only ask these questions, and I don't like say we, I, when I see an issue and I can't surrender it. So I'm going to tell you an interesting massage story about me. Okay? I had some problems, and I used to go for massage early in recovery, and my sponsor, Jess, said, no, that's your old ways. you got to stop that. So I begrudgingly stopped it. About 10 years later, I had terrible back trouble. And I said, Jess, I'm having all this back trouble. I want to go for rolfing or whatever, you know, a massage. And he said, well, why aren't you going? I said, well, 10 years ago, you told me I, it was my old ways. <laughs> Don't go. <laughs> he said, Harvey, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> um, I don't go for massages. God makes no mistake. I was at the chiropractor, and there was um, a big sign discount for massage. 
And I said, oh, maybe I'll get one. And I said, stop fooling yourself, Arthur. The massage therapist was a hunk of a guy. And you know you're into guys as much as gals. Um, Nope, you're not getting a massage. (laughs) To thine own self be true. I don't get massages, um, basically, not because they're wrong or right. And that's another thing to wipe out of your brain. It's because my program's not about wrong or right. It's about comfort. If I don't stay comfortable, I default to my sexual addiction. The minute I have to ask, is it okay, isn't it okay, I have this thing I live with. When in doubt, do without until you speak to your sponsor. When in doubt, do without. As far as, you know, thinking when things are good, I could take a little drink. Uh, I actually had exactly that experience yesterday. Things were good. I had a nice weekend. I had a nice a lot of victories over the last few weeks. And yesterday I'm sitting at my computer and I'm like, hmm, I have a really, really strong filter and I can't get a single thing that I want if I was looking for it. But let me see what happens. And I really couldn't find anything, but I was in that search mode. Um, you know, thank God I, uh, you know, uh, surrendered it quick enough, but not quick enough. And uh, I was able to share it and all that. But uh, it was a good reminder for me that that is part of the insanity. Another little um, cute story about um, the alcohol in the milk. I actually did it with my big book study partner several months ago, and we were viewing that page. And I told him, you know, I'm going I'm to try it. I got to experience what he experienced in order to relate to it. So I actually put an ounce of alcohol in a glass, 16 ounces of milk or whatever. And I was like, you know, I was telling him like, you know, it's not really much there. How is it possible that it wouldn't have an effect. And then like five minutes later, I was like, ah, it was that, I mean, I I can drink alcohol safely. Um, but the point is that it was there. And, and the insanity for me was the fact that I actually had to try it in order to believe it. But, uh, that was just that, but a quick question about, about lust. And I know we're talking about step two and, um, recognizing that, that, that the power greater myself can restore me to sanity. But I keep on I keep on thinking that I can look at woman's clothing. You know, I'm not lusting after her. I don't want to have sex with her. Um, I'm just going to look at her and be like, do I like what she's wearing? Do I not like what she's wearing? Um, maybe my wife would look good in that. And, you know, that's it. Like, you know, I would like if my wife wore that. And I, I have I'm having trouble accepting that that's lust because I don't find myself, you know, getting, uh, you know, that allergy kicking in necessarily. Um, and, and maybe I'm in denial. I don't know. What can you say about that? Great question on the insanity. Yes. First of all, we'll go back to David. The minute you say, I don't know, you really know. Okay. It's the denial mechanism. Uh, looking at women to see their clothes so you can tell your wife about it versus having to, you're walking down the street and you see a woman and you notice she's dressed well. 
are two very different issues. It's called intention. Intention. So there's a certain um, religion that deals with that. The rule isn't you can't see a woman. It's that you can't stare at the woman. You can't look at the woman. It's an intention. And as you get more and more into the 10th and 11th step, and you've done your fourth step more and more in depth through your 10th step, you'll understand intention more. Okay? In the beginning, I'm not capable of doing that. And my sponsor has to do that. So what I suggest to many people is take your glasses off unless it endangers your life <laughs> when you're walking down the street. If you can't see, wear your, your glasses. But some people are powerless over street lust. They just are. I was. And I give the story because, you know, I keep telling you this part of me, even though I've had intercourse with women thousands of times, I always share about the gay stuff. If that's the stuff I don't want you to know about me. So my examples will always go that way to keep de-shaming. So when I first sobered up, there were two handsome men walking towards me on the street. And I said, gee, I have to turn around to check them out. And my mind immediately said, well, once you turn around, you know you will have photographed them forever. Keep walking. Don't take a second look. You'll be okay. And then my disease said, no, they could be robbers and come back behind you and hit you and rob you. So you better turn around. And then at that moment, I said, I rather them be robbers and kill me then turn around for a second look. I can't go back there. I can't go back there. I, ha I have, in other terms, a severe penicillin allergy. I can't use penicillin. It's not my thing, but penicillin in any form. Not because it's bad. Because I'm sick, I'm allergic to it. And once I open the lid, I can't close it. It's that simple. That's the insanity. Thinking I could open the lid and close it. And over the years, many of you will see this. It's easier to stay sober than to get sober again. This disease advances, and it's much harder.
to get sober again. I'm Yermi. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harvey. Um, you said that uh, we may not uh, remember anything that you said, but there's one thing that I've just been keeping very uh, dear to me, which was that there's always that thought before the lust. Um, so we just came back from a trip to Miami, and um, I was very disciplined. I kept looking down. I kept saying, asking God to remind me I'm sexaholic and surrendering any thoughts that came. Um, but the thoughts increased with intensity um, constantly. Uh, I reached out to people, not enough, not enough. Um, and there were other tensions that were taking place. I wrote inventory. Um, again, probably not enough. But my, my question really is, you know, I, I said to my wife, I, I don't think I can ever go to another beach town again. And she, she didn't like that because she wants that. Um, and am I over, I guess my question is, am I overreacting? Um, do I surrender by surrendering beach towns or is this a step two issue? Am I not accepting that God can return me to sanity? And so long as I don't look, I should be able to go anywhere where free men go. Uh, that's my question. There are two parts here. One part is, I'm going to use you as an example. Don't take it personally. The subtlety of a shame message, which is our biggest danger, shaming ourselves. I didn't do it enough. Didn't do it enough. That is a total shame message. That a part of you that's after you and wants you to act out says, You did a whole lot. And yet it's telling you what you didn't do enough. Same message we get when we look at pornography and we say we haven't done it. We haven't seen enough pornography. Same message. It's the disease talking using shame. You did a lot. So my A, I was sober about four or five years. My AA sponsor asked us to go to a beach town with his wife. It was a great honor. He asked us and my wife and I and he and his wife and the, the hotel was on the, right on the beach. And I had no problems with the men, but the women were just uh, too rough for me. So I call up Jess, my essay sponsor. I said, I'm going home now. He said, why? I said, it's too much. And he said, um, Harvey, you could, you're with your AA sponsor. He speaks all over the world. He's this and that. You know, Harvey, you could screw up a free lunch. <laughs> That's what he said. You can screw up a free lunch. Okay. All I had to do was keep the shades down and not go on the beach. Okay? But beach towns are not the best place for me. And I'll tell you another place that's not a good place for me. Airports. The air is poor. You're doing food or not food. The 
people are constantly going in front of your eyes. These are high-risk areas for people like me. Public bathrooms, you name it. Okay? Now, to thine own self be true. There are so many wonderful places in the world to travel to. That it's very simple to your wife. You're truly loving her when you're saying, that's not a good place for me. So I want to tell you a little story. Have you noticed I'm telling you stories? I'm not giving, hopefully, lectures. I was sober 25 or more years. And we went to Memphis where my grandkids were. And we went to um, the community center. And there was a pool. And to go to the pool, I would have had to walk through a locker room where men were undressing. And in my program, my bottom line is if I walk purposefully into a men's locker room where men could be naked, that's a loss of my bottom line sobriety. I've lost it. So I couldn't go in. It was very embarrassing. I had the grandkids and others. I said, Nan, I can't go in. She went in, took the kids. I sat on the other side of the fence for a couple of hours. I did not go in. Why? Because my wife cannot be my priority or my children or my grandchildren. My recovery has to be my priority. Because if I'm not in recovery, I won't be able to have a wife and kids and religion in involvement and all. Just like diabetes. If you have diabetes, you must put your insulin first, no matter what your wife says. If she says you, you don't have to take your insulin for another three, four hours, we're busy this morning, you've got to say, no way, i got to take my insulin. But that cannot be done if you don't believe step one that you have an incurable disease, allergy, accompanied by a mental obsession. Have you noticed how all these are dovetailing together? Yeah. We're doing separate steps, but they're not. Nothing separate in the world. Nothing. Everything is one. Everything's interlocked. I'm insane. I'm ill. Okay. But others don't understand it. You know, if they could acknowledge my illness, they would have treated me milder and wouldn't resent me for my insane, silly behaviors. A quick example, I go to party with my brother. We dance, we laugh. Late at night, I lose control of my tongue. You know, I told you once that I have this urge to talk uh, and say something inappropriate in a silly game, uh, there and truth. Uh, then he makes hell out of it. He can't forgive me 
and see my illness in charge. And uh, I, 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 lim- I, it, it was an experience. Uh, then never again. I, uh, I limited my uh, time in parties uh, because I acknowledged uh, my uh, capacity. But I don't like to deprive myself of wonderful moments that I have with my, uh, with our friends. Uh, uh, what can we do uh, about uh, others knowing our insanity, our illness? Sonia, be sure it's about insanity versus a brother. Brothers will always tease their sisters, usually. <laughs> I have four sons. They're all grown up in their 50s. They're always making some remark and we get very sensitive Sonia that's part of our illness I'm very paranoid and sensitive when people are joking I don't even know they're joking and I had a lot of problems with one of my sons for years until I realized his personality was to say little cutting things. So be careful you don't let other people affect your life. That's not their problem, son. It's my problem. So I'll give you an example. They say never let anyone run you out of a meeting. I was a year sober in AA, and this guy started cursing and yelling at me. This was a smoking meeting, and I wasn't smoking, and I opened the window a little, the door, and it got cold, and he got up and started cursing me in front of 20 people at least. But I was told, never let anyone run you out of a meeting. So what your brother does is his business. And they say in AA, what you think of me is none of my business, and what I think of you is none of your business. You just do what, what's comfortable, but don't start blaming him. The minute we blame others, my mother would, would never... She died after I had about 20 years sobriety. She would never understand the disease concept. How can we expect them to understand the disease concept when most of you don't understand the disease model? Okay, whenever you point one finger at someone, you have three fingers pointed back. And I don't have to prove to anyone that I have a disease. Only one person do I need to prove it to, me. Okay, Sonia? Thank you so much, uh, Harvey. And uh, really, I I really am on the 
I, I know I'm insane, but uh, my 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 trouble now is that I'm really exhausted. Like with these images popping into my head and uh, and these hallucinations because they are hallucinations and they keep popping on my head and uh, and I'm I'm not having the longest really a long sobriety, but I'm having my longest streak of sobriety and I had various moments of really real peace and I am really happy to give up any second look. I I salute or <laughs> get give it up like that. I, I pray and uh, I go on my knees wherever I am and um and just and, and until I was comfortable and it was working I'm really happy to give up that, giving up movies and uh, also the laptop for a while and everything. But at some point uh, the images keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and uh, and I get exhausted. And sometimes I, I don't feel that, oh, no, I'm not diseased or I'm not sick, but I feel like this mental disease is really, is really such a big toll that, uh, that I don't know if it's worth it. Why, why <laughs> like, like sometimes I don't want to be dramatic, but I say, okay, but okay, let's just, go into oblivion again into 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 the disease because so what because i have uh, another 10 15 20 30 40 years of 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 a pain because i, I in those moments especially it seems that it will go on forever and uh, and yeah i wanted to know how how you dealt or deal with exhaustion or does it get better thank you thank you sam you know we I I can't emphasize enough what the big book says. Many people in this fellowship have more than one problem. And if people are having trouble with speeded up mind that never stops, and they already have a psychiatrist, or they don't have one, they need to go and get checked up, just like if you have heart pain. You don't say, will this help the heart pain? The program, you go first and get a cardiogram. People who have thoughts and can't sleep well, or constant thinking, need to also get checked. And then, if the psychiatrist, if they go get checked, they have a diagnosis, and it's not getting better, that's where you get a second opinion. It's that simple. I sponsored someone for a few years, and I try to really stay out of the medical part. But after a few years, I said, you really need to see a psychiatrist. This is speed up and all. And he went, and the psychiatrist said, there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) I said, go find someone in the program who goes who go to a psychiatrist who who says the psychiatrist has helped 
and go see that person for a second opinion. And the second psychiatrist helped him get so much better. That I have to go for second opinions to certain things about my health. The program is our primary purpose is about lust. But most of us have more than one problem, and most of us definitely have more than one addiction. Very few people you'll find with only one addiction. It could happen, but very rare. You should see sex addiction and eating disorders, or you'll see alcoholism, drug addiction, and sexual, because that part of the brain the hypothalamus and the limbic system, the survivor brain is not healthy with many of us since we were children. So that's all. Next question. Good to see you again, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Mina, go ahead. Thank you, Harvey. I'm Mina. Uh, actually, um, I'm sorry to share that, but... Um, I'm relapsing too much. I have tried to stop feeding the last many times, but I can't. I have prayed to God uh, uh, to let me find love in him. But actually, I'm finding love and happiness in feeding lust to look to other people and to watch pornography. Um, I try to attend meetings every day. I'm trying to reach out with, with people. I try to listen my sponsor, but I can't. I can't stop feeling lost, uh, and I I don't know what should I do. Uh, today I have prayed in the morning, and I have read the literature and doing the daily sober routine, uh, and read in the Bible. And after some minutes, uh, I started to relapse again. So. Can you help me? How can I stop feeling lost? Thank you. I don't have answers. I could just tell you how sick I was when I first came in. We didn't have an essay at the time. It wasn't started in Nashville. This was in 1984. Now, 83... And I needed three AA meetings a day. Then SA started, and I needed three AA usually, and then we had one SA meeting a week. I needed about 22 meetings a week. Um, it took me two years before I could go to like 20 meetings a week. <laughs> I could hardly work. I needed a lot of meetings. Um, I can't tell you what to do. I just had to see how much medication I needed to stop it. For one day at a time. Now, 
once you start fighting the lust, you've lost. It's very hard because what people tend to do is immediately go to God to stop the thoughts. Well, if God was going to stop the thoughts, you didn't need essay to begin with. So part of our insanity is to keep going back the way we went that didn't work to begin with. Now, am I saying God doesn't help? Well, you know the story, the story of the man. There was a flood coming, a bad flood. And the radio said, everyone evacuate, evacuate. And he said, no, God will help me. And so the flood started coming. And it was up to, they sent trucks and said, come on, we got to get you out. He said, no, God will help. Finally, the water got up to the first floor and a boat came and he said, they said, hop on in. He said, no, God will help. Then it got to the second floor and they said, a bigger boat. He said, no, God will help. Finally got to the top of the roof and he's standing on the roof and a helicopter comes. They said, come on. Climb up the ladder. He said, no, God will help. So he drowns. And he goes to heaven. And he meets God. And he says, God, I don't understand it. I kept praying. I said, help me, help me. And I ended up drowning. And God said, what do you mean I didn't help you? I sent you two, a truck, two boats, and a helicopter. Our concept of God helping us is based on old ideas. Now, my sponsor, Jess, would say he needed God with skin. So what does that mean? Some people, meetings aren't even enough. They need treatment centers. Sometimes treatment centers aren't enough. They need medication. There's no, we've said it for two weeks now. This is not a cookie cutter. And in many languages, if it's not your primary language, people not, might not understand cookie cutter. It's when you want to make cake in a certain shape and there's a little gadget thing and you stamp it and you make the dough. Uh, exactly the same. That's not what we have in the program. It's not a cookie cutter. The steps are the same. Sponsorship, etc. But even there, how people look at the steps, how they work, utilize the steps, how the sponsors, it's not a cookie cutter program. So you'll need to see how much more you need and where you're going to go and get the help. 
and to be able to not fight the lust thought, but to observe it. And early in recovery, it's very difficult to observe your thoughts rather than participate in it. Oh, there's that thought again. Oh, there it is. It just comes in and goes out unless you grab it. But you're going to grab it if you don't see it as just electricity, just like a bad dream or a good dream or a white dream. It's a dream, but we're awake. That's all it is. This is Amil from North Africa, I'm Powers of Lust. Hi, Amil. I have, I have uh, a few years of sobriety. There is one thing I am very ashamed of that shows total insanity. I was with my wife traveling for a trip to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and we're in a very nice hotel. Everything was perfect. I looked from the window and I saw a lady standing in the street. Uh, I just told my wife, I'm coming back. I went to the lady and we walked about three miles in the cold. And we went to a building full of drugs and full of people uh, acting out. I could have been killed. I would have left my three-month daughter and my wife in a hotel, and that's total insanity. I couldn't even share it in my first, when I was giving away my first uh, step. That's really total insanity. I have always found your shares, Harvey, even when I was when I was living in the United States, very entertaining and humorous. And you always said something about that us. Sex work, we don't do humor like alcoholics. And I want to share with you a joke as a small token. I cannot benefit you because you have much more sobriety than I. Sorry for my English, but if you, I hope that you find this joke funny. Okay. A sexaholic was rushing to the church. He was late. He was driving. As he was very close to the church, on the corner of his eye, he saw a beautiful lady dancing in the yard. I said, God, what do I do? Do I take a second look or not? And he took the second look, and it turned out that it's a tree with the wind, the shadow of a tree moving with the wind. And he said, God, what do I do now? So he called his sponsor, and he said, what do I do, my sponsor? And the sponsor told him, pray for the tree. I hope that you find it funny. Okay. Well, my question, uh, Harvey, is this. But it always works. It always works. Why does prayer work? Have you ever thought about it? Have you... Do you think a power that is beyond space and time, that you could change a power's mind by saying, do this and do that, then you've become God. 
You tell God what to do. But why does prayer work? Number one, it's a mantra. It blocks the thought for a second. We we cannot have two thoughts at the same time. Second thing, prayer is wonderful because it gives us peace. We don't have to feel alone. We get in touch with that where we're part of a process bigger than ourselves. This is especially about disease, not about religion or prayer in other ways. But to ask God if you have diabetes, to remove your diabetes is something we're taught not to do. We're taught to go to a doctor and get proper medication. And yet, because people will not accept this as a disease, they try using the same tools to get rid of the disease. And then what happens? You get disappointed, and then you get angry of the, at this loving God. You get angry. So what do we do in the program? We do the steps to accept we have a disease. We're insane. And how do we get restored through to sanity? Through the steps. Bit by bit. Now it took Bill W. six weeks. Many people have the distorted idea that they need to take years to work their steps. No, steps need to be done very quickly. That's why there's a tenth step to pick up what you've missed previously. And the 11th and the 12th. So we get a lot of programming from the past that's affecting even how we're utilizing the program. None of this will make sense, and it will sound like I'm being blasphemous or anti-religion, unless you can accept that this is a disease. Then it all will make sense. But if you keep living in the shame model that I'm bad getting good, not sick getting well, it's much harder to get the steps working for you. Now, again, this is only my opinion. It is not essay. I don't talk for essay as a whole. But I have had 36 years, 10 months of watching the most beautiful people, religious. This program attracts many religious people from all kinds of religions. 
I know how good we are. I know how dedicated most people in SA are in. A lot of people are in helping professions. They're interested in helping. They're deep with their religion. And then things don't make sense to them. And it gets all confused until we go back to the first step and acknowledge we have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. We are men who have, or women who have lost their legs and can never grow new ones. And most people will not accept this. And many people have trouble in this fellowship staying sober because of it. Again, only my opinion, not truth. (laughs) Only my opinion. But this method works for me one day at a time. If you go and you find the four, five, six, seven, maybe there are six people, seven who have over 30 years of sobriety, and you ask them, do you believe you have a disease or you're bad getting good? I'll put a money bet on. They'll say, I have a disease. Next week, uh, we will go to the third step. Uh, We'll be touching a little um, rough place. How do I know it's a rough place? Yes, I want to skip it, (laughs) not talk about it, but about came to believe a power greater than ourselves. And talk a little about this power and then talk about the third step for 30 minutes and then have you have questions and answers. Okay. Hey, yeah. Um, appreciate you calling on me. Um, and Harvey, uh, I, I also um, always um, enjoy your talks and your shares. Um, very powerful stuff. And when you were talking about shame, um, you really hit a chord with me. Um, I really struggle with shame and, uh, and, and guilt and um, I think um, an aspect of that is because um, similar to you I also um, struggle um, with um, same sex same sex um, attraction and so I'm I'm um, married with a couple kids and so um, I was wondering um, if you had any suggestions for you know someone um, in my shoes, that's, um, you know, to, um, um, to have, I guess, any recovery, um, suggestions, um, and overall how to have a better, um, a better marriage and headspace to, um, um, escape the insanity cycle. I had to, um, took me a few years to eliminate any old titles, gay, straight, bi. I had to finally come to the conclusion that it had nothing to do 
with men or women or masturbating. It had to do with that I was a sex addict. That's the only title I use. Because my addiction kept needing, and I won't go into details as I did it last week, but kept needing a higher dose. And, you know, masturbation was sex with women. Uh, I'm not mad. Marijuana was sex with women. Masturbation had more like tranquilizers than stimulants. Um, prostitutes might have been a little like cocaine. But sex with men, as it turned out over years, because I was predominantly only doing heterosexual sex, it was an increase in dosage. And sex with men is my heroin. Now, you're going to say, well, that's about Harvey. No, let's do pornography. No matter where you started with pornography, and if you never even had sex with anyone outside of pornography, if you honestly go back, you will see how you needed a bigger dose to shoot up on. And that a little bit of what you'd watch years later was way away from the original. You were no longer just watching women in bathing suits or looking at newspaper lingerie ads. Statistically, it had gone way, way up the line because we needed a higher dose. Once you accept this disease drug model, things tend to fit in better and you're not carrying all this shame. You're not carrying the shame. And to this day, young adult men are my heroine. I must have had intercourse with women, most with my wife, 8,000 times. But I will notice a handsome young man in a room before I will notice anyone else. And the chemistry of the room changes. Okay? The drug effect. Now I'm aware of it. So I've learned tools where it has no power and I'm not even looking at the people. But it's been a process over the years, a process of my calling it what it is, heroin, not gay sex. How do I come about that? Most gay people, you never even know they're gay. They have a partner or whatever. I could not be faithful to the people I was being unfaithful with. No one could satisfy my addiction. I'm an addict. I always need a higher dose. So simple 
and so difficult for people to accept the doctor's opinion, not Harvey's opinion, the doctor's opinion. Nothing else explains why willpower doesn't work. Willpower should work. It works for you coming here to see this meeting. Why wouldn't willpower work? To stop you from acting out. It's simple. This we have an allergy. We have an automatic response. And it's very difficult to eat just one potato chip. Once the oil and the salt and the thin potato touches your tongue, there is an automatic chain reaction to your brain that produces the phenomenon of craving. And last week I put up some video sites and stuff to learn about this. Very few people will probably be willing to study up on the disease model. Because it's very hard to let go of our old ideas. The old ideas, I'm gay or I'm straight, I'm, <laughs> you know, or I'm bad getting good. There is nothing to explain. Do you know that in all the years I've been here, I've seen very few gay men who are cross-dressers most of the cross-dressers have been heterosexual, never even had a gay experience. Why? Why would a straight guy be putting on woman's underwear? Because it was a bigger dose. That's simple. That's where it progressed. Did it start there statistically? Might have, but usually it doesn't. It progresses. Why do I say this over and over again? So I could hear it over and over again. (laughs) So I never forget it. This I've been programmed just like you have. That we're bad getting good. And if you notice, I tell you this stuff I don't think you hear shame in my voice. I don't, I don't feel shame. I was in a stupor for decades. I was in an endorphin brain heroin where I was totally insane. Now, There are certain things I don't say here. This is Zoom, and it's getting a little more and more complicating. Uh, A lot of things are no longer private, even though we think they're private. But let me tell you, every one of these insane, embarrassing things I've done And it goes on and on. I've told someone in the program. 
I do not have one secret that I know of. Anything shaming, and I share in detail anything that I did in the past and de-shame it. And be sure you have someone that you could tell every single detail so you're not stuck with the image in your head because a burden shared is half as heavy. And I always say to the person on the phone, I'm going to share explicitly. That could give them a chance to pull the phone away or they can listen or could they say I'm not in the right place right now. And then I call someone else. But I get it out explicitly, every detail, just what the essay book says in the chapter, How I Overcame My Obsession with Lust. I say, it says in detail, not in generalities. It says it is the fungus, the athlete's foot of the brain. It only grows in dark places. And if any of you ever get a thought about what you've done and that you can't live with it because it's so horrible, before you kill yourself, call me up and I'll tell you statistically how I've done it at least three times. And we'll both get off the phone laughing. Love you all. You're my medicine. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.